Say it out loud, I'm a doer, I'm a doer. Not, a not a hearer only. I'm a doer, I'm a doer, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. of the Word of God. Praise God. That's the only people that get results. Not just churchgoers, not just program watchers, not, not just Bible readers, not just prayers. People who actually act on what He shows you. That's the ones that get the miracles. And you said you're one of those. All right. Ta take a seat, please, and look again in Romans, the 12th chapter. I have it on my heart by the Lord helping us to share something with you that's been one of the more one of the most powerful things in my personal life uh, over these past decades of walking with him. And uh, you can only get something by the Spirit. It takes more than just hearing words, but we just prayed and, and you're hooked for that. Romans 12, 1 and 2, for the previous two uh, services, we've been on this. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It matters what we do with our bodies. Uh, our bodies are vessels for the Lord to use. Um, you've got the spirit and you've got the natural, the physical. And we know so little about these two realms. Um, this realm is temporary. Uh, now, most people don't even believe that. But everything you see and can touch and perceive with your senses is actually temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. They tell us, people who study uh, physics and quantum physics and, and different ones of these, uh, these areas, and, uh, tell us that most of what you see is space. It's empty space. And what you feel as firm is electromagnetic force. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> but we are convinced this is, this is the most real. Because <laughs> this is what we've been born into and this is all we know. But God is spirit. He's forever. You are spirit. And you're inside this body. And so for things to be done in this material realm, there has to be influence from the spirit realm through vessels. For instance, the devil, he comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. But he can do nothing in this physical realm unless somebody yields their vessels to him to accomplish his purposes. If nobody will say the thoughts and words he brings, he is mute, muted in this, in this physical world. If nobody will lend their hands or their fists or their bodies to him, 
He can't hurt anybody. He can't do anything. If nobody on the planet would yield to the devil, it would be like there was no devil. Amen. It'd be like he didn't exist because he'd, he'd have zero expression in this realm. Well, uh, and similarly, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is the head, but he expresses himself through his body. And if nobody will yield to the Holy Spirit in the earth, then what God is wanting to say and do is not being accomplished or not to the degree that he wants to. Have you ever read Romans 6? It talks about don't yield your members to unrighteousness, but yield them to God. Right? right? And he talks about how like you used to yield to wrong things, but you've been saved now. Yield to righteousness. Yield to the right things. And so that's what he's saying. Uh, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If the Lord wants to say something, he should be in your world. He should be able to say it through you. Amen. He brings the thoughts to you and prompts you and you'll say it. If he wants to do something, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why believers lay hands on the sick. If you do it uh, by the direction and in faith of the Lord, it's actually Him doing it through you. Everything Jesus said and did, He said, I didn't do it of myself. The Father in me, He did the works. And yet we would say, well, Jesus did it. But Jesus said, well, it was the Father that did it through me. And that's exactly the way we function and operate. He does it. He says it. He accomplishes it through us. The head needs his body. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. And you are a vital and significant part of the body of Christ. Don't let the enemy tell you anything different. There are no needless, unnecessary, uh, insignificant parts of the body. No. God has put every member in the body as it has pleased him. Mm-hmm. You are important to him. Yeah. And in, in our body, we have parts you're not even aware of. Right? You've got little glands. You've got little, little organs, little blood vessels, little bones in, in your ears and in your head. and You don't even know they're there. But if they quit working, you'll find out about it. Is that right? And you'll think, what is a such and such? And you realize now how important it is. And there's a whole lot of body parts in the body of Christ. Nobody sees them. Nobody knows about them. Their name's not on anything. Their face is not on any screen. But they're doing vital parts and functions in the church and in the work of God. And if they all stop, you'd know it. This thing would grind to a halt. Are you glad to be a part of the body of Christ? He goes on to say in verse 2, Romans 12, 2, he said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Other translations say good and well-pleasing and complete will of God. Three words that describe the will of God. Now, I know I've said it, but it'll bear repetition. Millions, actually, of church-going people believe that everything that is happening is the will of God. 
No. Millions of people believe this. Do you know it or not? We are a minority in not believing that. Uh, millions of good people, believers, church-going people, they believe if God didn't, you know, do it of purpose, He allowed it for some reason, and basically He is responsible for everything that's happening. That it's somehow or another, whether you understand it or not, it's all His will. It's all His plan. If that is true, how do we understand verses like this? That we need to get our mind renewed so we can distinguish and prove what the will of God is. If everything is the will of God, I don't need to develop to distinguish the will of God. It's all the will of God. <laughs> Let's keep going. Um, Ephesians, the, the fifth chapter, you don't have to turn there, but uh, Ephesians 5.10, he says, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Is everything acceptable and well-pleasing to Him? No. There are all kind of things happening on this planet that grieve Him, that are not His will, that displease Him greatly. Verse 17 Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If everything that's happening is the will of God, how do we understand that verse? Why do we need to not be foolish, but to become wise and to distinguish and understand what God's will is, if everything is the will of God? It's just not true. And the reason I keep saying it is most of the church-going people on the planet believe some version of that. That no matter what happens, you know, you, you uh, storm destroy your house, we don't understand why God's ways are mysterious. You know, you, you contract some deadly disease and, and die, uh, you know, in midlife. Well, we don't, God had a plan. That was His plan. And, uh, it's simply not true. There's all kind of things happening. There is an enemy. And he is stealing and killing and destroying. And are we going to say that the evil works of the devil are the well-pleasing and good and complete will of God? No. 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 That's why we're told multiple places that we need to be renewed in our mind, our understanding needs to develop so we can distinguish what is God's will, what is not God's will. So we'll know what to yield to and follow and what to resist and say no to. Two of the most important things you could ever learn in this life is what to yield to and what to resist. What did the Bible say about the devil? Resist the devil. Well, if everything's of God, how do I understand that? How does that work? Right? right? <laughs> if everything's of God, when do I resist the devil? And how do I know that it is the devil? If everything was of God, if every storm is of God, then you got Jesus rebuking something the Father's doing when he calmed the storm. Come on, can you see that? If God makes people sick to teach them things, then you got Jesus helping people get out of the will of God, right and left, oh, wow. right? <laughs> no, 
No. And if you really, see, people don't even really believe this. They sit in church and claim they believe it, but then if they got a problem, uh, they'll say, well, it must be God's will, but then on Monday they'll go to the doctor and try to get rid of it. <laughs> well, see, that's hypocrisy. If you really believe that God put it on you, why would you dare try to get rid of it? It's confusion. It's not the Bible. It's not the Word of God. No, every form of disease and sickness is evil. Resist it. Where they fight it, it's fight it in the natural, fight it in the spiritual. Don't lay down and say whatever will be will be. That's right. That's right. God's will is that you be healed. Yes. Poverty is evil. I mean, every degree. There are people who died on the planet today because they didn't have a decent uh, meal to sustain their body. That is the full measure of poverty. Well, not having enough to pay your electric bill is the same evil stuff. It's just a small measure of it. Come on, can you see that? It's the same stuff. It's just one of them's inconvenient. The other one will kill you. Different measures of the same evil stuff. No, poverty is not God's will. And sickness is not God's will. Now, we've all had, we've dealt with some of these things, but you need to know, don't accept it. Don't lay down with it. Make up your mind. Jesus took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. He carried my pains. By stripes I'm healed. With long life he'll satisfy me. If he went to the links to get that for me, I'm going to have it. Right? Don't quit. Don't stop till you're experiencing it in your life. He also became poor so that you might be made rich. So don't stop until you're experiencing abundance. Hmm? Keep, keep going. Uh, you saw there in Ephesians 5, go with me if you would to 1 Timothy 2. And we're talking about the will of God. And we see the unchanging will of God. And in, in he told us to pray about. 1 Timothy 2, 3, he said, uh, well, let me just start at verse 1 again. 1 Timothy 1, I exhort that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for all that are in authority, for kings, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And keep going. He said, uh, for this is, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That's similar language to what you saw in Romans 12. This is describing the will of God. Mm. What's the will of God? War is not the perfect will of God. No. Now, if he has to, the Lord will help his people to not be destroyed in, in war. But his perfect will is that there be peace. Come on, can you see this? It also hinders the gospel being preached when there's war. He said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Keep going. Who will, this is the will of God. He will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the will of God, generally speaking? Globally, generally speaking. Number one, if you lost, He wants you saved. Everybody. He's not willing that any should perish, the scripture said. So uh, there's no such thing as somebody who's lost that it's God's will for them to be lost. No such thing. 
If they are, if they remain that way, it's because they choose to refuse the truth and the will of God. Just because something's the will of God and something is the truth doesn't mean you have to accept it or receive it. So number one, if you're lost, if you don't know the Lord, it is His will. And He's telling us to, we're to pray this on a regular basis. That people who don't know Him, we'd have peace, we'd have prosperity, the Word of God would run and have free course, the gospel would be preached everywhere so that people would hear and get saved. And then, and, everybody say and, and. to come unto the knowledge of the truth. When you get born again, when you get saved, that's not the end. You haven't arrived. That's the beginning. That's right. And the Lord now, everybody who's not saved, He wants them saved. That's His will. Yes. We're talking about the will of God. Mm -hmm. That's His good will. Uh, it pleases Him well. And it, it, it is part of completing His plan that you get saved. You, you can't get to the end till you start. That's right. right? You've got to get saved. You've got to get born again. And then, once you're born again, that's, He wants you and I to come into the full knowledge of the truth. To keep getting enlightened as to the truth. The, the two different translations set like this. Uh, this is what God our deliverer regards as good. This is what meets His approval. He wants all humanity to be delivered and saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Everybody say full knowledge, full knowledge of, the truth. of the truth. Colossians talks about us being filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He, God wants us to know His will. You hear some people say some foolish things, you know, like, well, we, you know, God's too far beyond us. We just can't understand, you know, what His will. And, and again, it goes with this assuming that everything that's happening is His will, and we just can't understand it. And some of it's so hard and so tough, but it must be His will because it's happening. No, no. He made you an intelligent being who can hear and understand and talk to Him and communicate. And he said, don't be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And his will is his truth. They are the same. Also, you could call it light. His way is the path of light. Following him, he is the light. And he said, you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. And his light and his life and his truth and his will and his plan, these are all overlapping. We're talking about similar things here. They all flow together. Uh, go with me to the book of uh, John, Gospel account of John. And the, uh, the third chapter. Thank you, Father. Are you okay? Yes. John chapter 3. Now, while, while you've got that, I'm going to read something else to you. Um, this, the Lord speaking through John in the third epistle of John, third John, he said, uh, uh, we, we quote oftentimes third John 2. 
They'll put it on the screen for us. You just stay there in Big John 3. And I'm in Little John, 3 John. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things, this is 3 John 2, that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. And he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Now we believe this is not just John talking, but this is the Holy Spirit speaking through John. And it's an eternal word to all generations. So we can take this personally as the Father speaking to us. That he has no greater joy than to hear and see and know that we are doing what? Walking in the truth. Which is his plan. Right? Which is his light and his life. Walking in his way. And we could spend a lot more time, if, if, we, if we thought we should do it tonight, talking about there are just scripture after scripture after scripture that reveals how much God wants us to know His will and to be filled, like we just quoted, with the knowledge of His will. If God wants us to know His will, to be aware of His plan, how is it that so many are so oblivious to it? And so confused about it. <laughs> and you even got a whole lot of church going people. They believe it's not even possible to really know much about the plan of God. That he's just controlling it all, you know, like we're puppets. And one of these days we'll, at past this life, we'll find out something about it. But that's not what the Bible says. If it's God's will for us to know his will, how is it that so many are so lacking in knowing it. Well, God's plan has competition. God's will has other competing ideas and things. In John 3, would you read there please with me? John 3. Um, this, there's, there's so much here like in every passage. Have you got that 16th verse marked here in, in John 3? Huh? Uh, reckon the other ones around it are good too? <laughs> you know, like verse 15 and verse 17. And, uh, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is uh, the best news you'll ever hear. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes. For, verse 17, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The, the Lord has no pleasure in you feeling guilty and ashamed. A lot of times people think, well, I, I need to show him how bad I feel about this. And so they'll go for days kicking their self and beating their self over the head for their mistakes. You're not pleasing him. No. 
in doing that. You're acting like what he did to pay for your sin is not enough, that you have to add your repentance. It's not your repentance, but your, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, there's a word there somewhere. <laughs> you, have to, you have to add your showing and feeling guilty to help make up for it. Friend, the blood is enough and more than enough. Now, the Lord wants you to repent. I mean, if you do something wrong, He wants you to repent. He wants you to acknowledge it. He wants you to care, but He doesn't want you to go 10 more minutes kicking yourself. He wants you to receive forgiveness, receive cleansing and washing. Receive the righteousness and holiness that's been given to you freely. And he wants you to receive it now. And every time condemnation tries to come back on you, he wants you to cast it aside and confess that you're clean by the blood. Oh, somebody say clean, clean. You're either clean or you're not. You're either washed or you're not. The blood's either enough or it isn't. I've had people tell me, yeah, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. And I said, yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. I'm not minimizing the terrible things that people have done, but I'm talking about how great the blood that never loses its power is. Oh, hallelujah. That blood can cleanse you from anything everything that you have said or done wrong, but you must receive it. I said you must receive it. You must receive it by faith, by faith. And if you do receive it by faith, you will stop yielding to condemnation. You'll stop talking shame and guilt. And if you keep confessing the righteousness of Christ and the cleansing of the blood, those feelings will leave you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Nothing else, nothing else has the power to cleanse the conscience but the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Nothing else. Nothing else. So I want, you, I want everybody to say it out loud. Everybody to say it out loud. I receive complete forgiveness. For every mistake, every failure, every sin, I receive complete cleansing and washing from the blood of the Lamb. I take it by faith. I receive His righteousness, His holiness. I'm clean by the blood. I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven by God. By God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Receive it. You have to receive it by faith. Now, if you mess up tomorrow, do you know what to do? Yes. Hmm? Don't wait. Don't, don't wait. Run to him. He already knows it. I said he already knows it. Run to him. Admit it. Admit that you know you violated light. But don't go the rest of the day. Don't go the next hour feeling condemned and ashamed. Receive your forgiveness. 
Take it by faith, just like we did right here. Receive your cleansing. And yes, be thankful and worship him. <laughs> Thank him and worship him for giving us a gift that cannot be bought. Hallelujah. Beyond price. Thank you, Lord. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have come short. But you don't have to live in condemnation and shame. You don't have to carry this around with you. The blood is more powerful than anything that you have ever done. Amen. You believe that or not? Yes, sir. Say it out loud. The blood, the blood is, greater is greater than anything, than anything I've, ever done. I've ever done. The blood, the blood is, more is more powerful than any sin. Than any sin. And I am clean, clean by the blood. By the blood. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It do you a world of good to just all through tonight after the service, tomorrow, every once in a while just say, I'm clean. I'm clean by the, not by my works and what I've done, by the blood, by the blood. I'm clean by the blood. The blood has made me clean. Amen. Glory to God. Clean. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And you can get completely free from all condemnation. Hallelujah. He said God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. If he'd have wanted the world condemned, all he had to do is nothing. Right. We had already sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just leave us. But Jesus came to get us out of it. Oh, don't you love him? But that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned. Well, what if you are condemned? You're not believing on him enough. That's what we've just been talking about for the last several minutes. You're not believing on what he did enough. You're not counting on what his blood has done enough. Because when you do, he that believes on him is what? Not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. You know, some people have tried to say, well, Jesus has already paid for all the sins of the whole world. He's already paid for all sins, past, present, and future. So, you know, they, they surmise that means everybody will be saved. No. Not true. Because even though he has already paid for it, you have to receive it. Right. You have to personally receive it or you won't benefit from it. Amen. No matter what kind of gift has been given to you, you have to receive the gift. To enjoy the gift. He that doesn't believe is condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Keep going. And this is the condemnation. This is why uh, it results in, in the person being condemned that light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Now, here is why so many people don't, aren't aware of the will of God and plan of God. Is because light came, truth came, and they didn't want it. Uh, you know, I, uh, when I first started in the ministry decades ago, I was aware of the scripture, what is in Hosea, that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, well, man, that's the biggest problem. People are destroyed because they don't know. They just don't know. And then years later, I realized that's not the biggest problem. The rest of that verse goes on to say, because you have rejected knowledge. Ignorance is not the biggest problem on the planet. Lack of knowing about God is not the biggest problem because God is faithful to let everybody on the planet have an opportunity to know Him. He's faithful. You believe it or not? He is, I'm telling you, God is faithful. He said, uh, this is the condemnation that lights come into the world. And what happened? Men, that's talking about male and female, they loved darkness rather than light. Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. People saw and heard Jesus teach and preach and heal and deliver and hated him. The Pharisees hated him. The Sadducees despised him. Now that's hard for us to fathom. But they saw him and they heard him and hated him. They wanted something else. And uh, it's happening today that people are seeing God and they're hearing God and they're seeing truth and hearing truth and they don't want it. They don't want it because if they receive it, it requires a change. One of the reasons why people don't want to believe in God is because if you do believe in God, uh, then there's other things that follow. Well, he's got a plan for my life and I should find out about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> it messes up people's personal plans. <laughs> and so there's a whole lot of people, they just don't want to know the truth. They don't want to hear it. And when they do hear it, they reject it. This is what's going on globally. There is a, a sifting, there is a trying of hearts in generation after generation on the planet. God is purposely hiding himself. I'm quoting scripture from Isaiah. Somebody said, well, I thought God reveals himself. He does both. What, what do you mean? If he manifested himself any more than what he's already doing in the earth, there wouldn't be any room for faith. Hmm? Can I give you some things tonight? Huh? You're going to have to think. You're going to have to listen to you with your heart. Um, what do you mean, Brother Keith? God could put his face in the sky tonight and, and within milliseconds Nobody of the seven plus billion people on the planet would doubt that there's a God. So says, why didn't he do it? On purpose, he doesn't do it. He, le he leaves and allows room to doubt, to disobey, to choose not to. And he gives you a whole lifetime to decide this. Hmm? And when all of this is done, there will be a big separation between those that chose to believe in him and those who refused to. And he, we don't know, but he knows. There comes a point when people are never going to change. 
The devil is never going to change. He never. No matter how many eons you gave him, no matter how many opportunities you gave him, he is never going to change. Have you read the back of the book? Yes. There's coming a time when the enemy is going to be cast into the pit and locked away for a thousand years. And all kind of things are going to happen. And when the thousand years is up, he's going to be let out for a little time. And you know what he's learned in those thousand years? Nothing. He immediately goes to try to lead a rebellion, which is what he did eons ago. And with it, he's never going to change. Never. So what has to happen? Well, do you want him living with you? No. In heaven? No. And throughout the millennia, he's never going to change? No. Well, then there's got to be another place for him. Right. Away from us. Yes. Thank God. Yes. Well, sadly, there are millions and millions of human beings who are doing the same thing. They, they have opportunity after opportunity, but they re refuse the truth. And they refuse to know God. They refuse to believe Him. They refuse. And there comes a point when they're not going to change. Now, we don't know what that is. And in this world, in this lifetime, as long as there's breath, there's hope, we yeah. preach to everybody like they're going to receive. Yeah. But if they don't, don't fall off your chair. Realize God's not going to make them, but He knows there is a point where they're not going to change either. Do you want them living beside you in heaven? Well, then they've got to be in the same place with the, the devil and the other people who didn't want God. And it wasn't God's choice. It was their choice. Can you see this, friends? Uh, go with me to Romans, the first chapter. I'm still talking about the plan of God. God's plan is good. God's plan is well-pleasing. God's plan is complete. Perfect. Hallelujah. Are you glad? You ought to be so glad. Glad that you know Him. That you haven't rejected Him. That you haven't refused him. He gave you enough understanding and heart that you, he knew you'd say yes. Even if you refused him for years, he knew at one point you'd say yes. Hallelujah. And so he's included you in his forever family. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to be. Where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I'm not going to be. You know, one of the things that would make hell hell without the heat and the fire and the flame would just be in with that bunch. <laughs> Is that right? Being with that, that uh, rebellious, selfish, you know, bunch for eon after eon, that's hell right by itself. No, I'm going to be with you. Oh, you, you missed a good place to, to shout. Huh? You're, you're good people to be around, right? Yes. I, I'm, I'm, we're going to be together. Yes. We're going to be together with people like Moses, Abraham, and Sarah. Somebody say glory to God. David, Elijah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Y'all uh, 
Brother Jesse Duplantis comes here, yeah. right? Y'all know him. We're, we're good friends with them. And, and uh, you know, he had an experience and, and, and went to heaven uh, a number of years ago. And he said he saw uh, David and he talked to him and he saw uh, Noah and talked to him. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not, not Noah, Jonah. Jonah. And uh, some interesting things he said about them. He said with uh, David, he said David had a crown on. He was the only man he saw there uh, other than the master, you know, that had a crown. Well, David's called a king throughout the scriptures, isn't he? And he said, uh, David's asked him, he said, so you're a musician. He thought, wow, David knows I'm a musician. <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, what do you play? And he said, he said, well, I play this some and I play a piano some. He said, the piano, you know, is a cabinet and has hammers. And, and David said, I know what a piano is. <laughs> <laughs> These people are not just a fantasy Amen. in a history book. They're alive right now. They've been, and they know, you know, I guess they've kept up with some things, right? As, as they go. It's Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and he said he talked to uh, uh, Jonah. And, and uh, it crossed his mind. He's going to get an answer to this age-old question about what was Jonah in? You know, was it a whale? Was it a, a fish? What, what was it in? So he says, uh, Jonah, well, you know, what were you in? And he said the moment he said it, he knew he'd asked the wrong question. <laughs> he said because Jonah kind of looked at him and wasn't smiling. Well, you know, you're bringing up an uncomfortable episode in somebody's life. Is that right? <laughs> These are real people. He said, uh, Jonah looked at him and said, uh, Jesse, I was in disobedience. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, what, what, why am I saying all this? You are going to get to meet these people. Living with these people and especially living with the master. Hallelujah. And with the father, that's heaven. Even without the streets of gold, Amen. right? Without Amen. the other things, that's heaven. Amen. Heaven is not just streets of gold and jewels and this and that. It's not just uh, life without end. It's the environment. Mm -hmm. It's the light mm -hmm. and the life. Mm. And we can have some heaven yes. to go to heaven in. We can have some light and life and truth in this world to get from here to there. The earnest of our inheritance, first fruits of a foretaste of what is to come. A little heaven to go to heaven in. Days of heaven on the earth, the scripture talks about. Uh, Romans 1, are you there? I didn't intend to get into all of this, but... You must, you must be able to handle it, right? You must be able to take it. Um, Romans 1 and 17. He said, in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now let me, let me review just a little bit. What's the will of God? Two big things on the earth. Everybody get saved and then what? Come into 
Other translations say the full knowledge. Complete knowledge of the truth. Here, the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now keep reading. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, or actually you could translate that to them, for God has showed it to them. Now this is ungodly people. That which may be known of God is manifested or revealed to all. Godly, ungodly, everybody. For God has shown it to them. Keep reading, verse 20. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Everybody say clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. You hear people say, there is no proof of the existence of God. Now that is ignorance. Everything around you is proof of God's existence. The mountains, the oceans, the stars, the plants, the animals, the air you breathe, the gravity holding your feet to the ground. The psalmist said that the heavens declare the glory of God. Hallelujah. It's showing his handiwork. If you want to know about God, don't get some theologian's dry book and read it. Go and look up in the night sky. Look up in the night sky. Look at the rivers and the fish and the mountains and the oceans. That's God. And he's big. And he's awesome. He is amazing. Look at all the colors of the rainbow and the flowers and the trees. Look at all the diversity of life and animals. And this is seeing something in a fallen state. This, This whole creation is actually dying. The Bible tells us in Romans that the whole earth is groaning and travailing. All of the things that are going on, the the earthquakes, the storms, the the, uh, swinging of cycles and hot and cold and all this kind of stuff, this is because the planet is dying. Now, just like your body, it's made of the same stuff. And it has been so affected by the curse and by death that it has to be remade. In its current state, the earth cannot be saved. The surface is going to melt with fervent heat. It's going to have to all be taken down (laughs) to the foundation. And God will create, the Bible said, it's all right here in the book, new heavens and new earth wherein is no curse. We've never been in a place like that. Oh, glory to God. We've never been in a place 
like that. No curse means no disease. It means never too hot, never too cold. It means you can run through the jungle barefoot, never step on a thorn. If you see a tiger, you can grab him around the neck and play with. The Bible said the lion will lie down with the lamb and eat straw. What we call uh, carnivores now will be vegetarians. God never created animals to rip each other apart. People call this God-ordained nature. No, it's not. He never created it to be like that. It's the result of sin and the fall. The violence, the death that's in the earth is part of the curse. Well, we're touching on some stuff tonight, huh? <laughs> is it true or not? Have you, read, have you read these things? But we're still talking about the will of God. And God has revealed himself. I don't care if you are 10th generation idol worshiper on the backside of a desert. You, you get to the age where you can understand something and know a little bit about right from wrong and you look across the desert and you see the creation and you look at the wonder of the creation of your body and you look up in the night sky, something tells you yes. somebody made that. Yes. Hallelujah. God speaks to you through this. And here's the thing. That is a revelation of truth. Yes. Now what, you, what that person does with it next determines if they go further with God or if it stops right there. It works the same if you grew up in a Christian home, but you've never received Jesus for yourself. Just because mom and daddy love the Lord doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you've been in church all your life doesn't mean you have received the Lord or that you have received the truth for yourself. And so it'll happen. You might be eight, you might be 10, you might be younger, you might be older, but you, you sense his presence. You're aware of his existence. Yes. This is a manifestation of truth and the will of God. If you will humble yourself and say, I believe it, yes. more will come. Amen. If you'll receive it, he, I don't care who you are, where you are. Like I said, 10th generation idol worshiper. If you'll say, I believe it, he will lead you right out of darkness into full salvation in Jesus. He will get you there. He'll send labors across your path. He, he'll move heaven and earth. Whatever it takes. But the moment you say, no, you know, if I do that, my family is going to cut me off. I mean, I might even get killed. I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can say right there, I don't want that. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Then you have rejected the truth and the light goes out. You've told God, I don't want you. Biggest mistake you could ever make in your life. Keep reading. Verse 21, because when they knew God, now that's not... They had a relationship with God. They knew about God. They glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful and became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. 
It's dangerous to not walk in light and truth when God gives you some. It's dangerous not to do it. The result is a darkened understanding. He said, uh, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And that describes millions on the planet who consider themselves to be so educated and they herald and talk about science. All real science agrees with God. Anything, but now listen, there is all kind of stuff being taught in elementary school, junior and high school, universities, taught as fact, taught as science that is outright lies. Outright lies. The, the people in the field know it's not true. I mean, they know it's a theory. They know it's conjecture. They know it's somebody's idea and concept, but they don't teach it like that. They teach it like proven science. And uh, all you got to do is follow your heart. If something doesn't bear witness with your heart, don't believe it. Don't accept it. No matter how many initials they got after their name, who are they? Right? What do they know? Follow your heart. Trust the one inside you. He'll lead you in the truth. Everybody say truth. Truth, truth, truth. The truth. What will the truth do for you? Help me out. It'll liberate you. It will liberate you. Go to John, John 8. Let's talk about that. That's where that verse is. Go to John 8. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Do you love the Lord? That is the acid test of a real Christian. A real Christian is not somebody that just somebody that goes to church. A real Christian is not just somebody that can provide a theological argument for the existence of God. There's people that know all kind of stuff and quote all kind of scriptures and, and read Hebrew and Greek and don't know God. How can you tell a real Christian? They love God. They love Him. Hallelujah. They love Him. Somebody say love Him. They, you, you love Him. The Bible said knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And God knows those who love Him. He knows it. You can never impress Him with how smart you are. Never. I'm telling you, some, some of our, what we consider our brightest moments would be to him like a child with a crayon <laughs> going outside the lines. But because you love the child and the child shows you, look, look, you go, oh, that's pretty, baby. That's pretty. <laughs> and it's just, it's just doodling with crayons. And so his knowledge is so vast. You're not going to impress him with how smart you are. But you will touch him if you love him. If you genuinely love him, he knows it. He knows your insides. He knows your heart. And when you do, that makes you light up among the billions on this dark planet. He sees you. He knows you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Do you love him, saints? Anybody in here? Do you love him? Not just in front of people. You love him at home, by yourself, with nobody around. Somebody say, I love him. I love him. Lord, I love you. Come on, say it out loud. Lord, I love you. Say it out loud. Loud enough for anybody to hear you. Say, Lord, I love you. With all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. He loved us. Gave himself for us. Ever lives to make intercession for us. He's got nothing to prove to us that he loves us. He's already done it. He does it every hour. It's us who have something to prove. That we love him. Hallelujah. If you love him, you want to know what his will is. And notice that those three words. The good, the well-pleasing, and the perfect or complete will of God. If you know what pleases somebody a lot, you know something about them. Yes. You're getting to know them, yes. aren't you? Yes. And when you care enough to try to find out yes. what they like yeah. and what they like better and what they like best mm -hmm. yes. and what is really well-pleasing to them. And you find that out, and you find out more and more about that, you know something of that person. Not just about them, but you are knowing them. Yes. You can know God this way. Yes. You, you find out what He likes. Yes. What pleases Him. He has what we call emotions. Right. Some people have thought, you know, God sitting on the throne old. Got a you know, white beard that goes down for feet and feet. Old, because he's been around so long. And if you look at him in the face, which you dare not do, but uh, <laughs> he is just straight. No smile, no frown, just man, a little bit stern looking, but but not, no up, no down, no. That's not true. God is surprisingly like you. Yeah. Yes. So said, no, no, yes. Why? Because you're made in His likeness and image. If I take two of these chairs and I pull them out and I say, this chair is exactly like this chair, but this chair is nothing like this chair. <laughs> Doesn't work. No. If I'm like God, guess what? He's like me. Yeah. Minus the junk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see you can see scriptures for every one of these. God gets happy. He gets glad. He rejoices. He shouts. He sings. God sings. Reckon what kind of notes the Almighty can hit. <laughs> Woo! Now come on, think with me, because in a few more days we're gonna be there, huh? Maybe we can we can gather up to the throne and go, Father, would you sing for us? Would you, would you sing? Would you sing us one? 
You know that one we really like. Would you sing that one? Because I think when he hits a note, it would lift you right off the ground. Yes, it would. When he hits a low, it'd reverberate through your whole being. I mean, your molecules might come apart and come back together. But you would like it a lot. You would think, oh, wow. We'd be, we're, we're his little kids. We'd be like, do it again. Do it, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. We'll no longer be limited by this mortal temporary stuff. It's going to be amazing. But, uh, you know, think about the Father singing. Singing. Amazing. He also can be angry. He can be upset. He can be displeased. He can be grieved. He is a person. And he is knowable. You can learn what he likes. What pleases him what displeases him if you care to, if you want to. Most of the planet doesn't care to. They got no interest in him. Most of the planet doesn't even choose to believe in him. And he will never forget those who did choose to believe in him. We're very special to him. We're the apple of his eye. We're his treasure. We're, we're a very few among billions who have chosen not to know him. The scripture said in Jeremiah, he said, through deceit, they, they have chosen not to know me. Through deception. Like we read in John 3, choosing a lie instead of the truth. Why? Because the truth is uncompromising. The truth is what it is. It doesn't change for you. No. No. There is a term I detest. My truth. No. Your truth. This is an ungodly, deceiving concept. Well, I've got to live my truth. And you've got to live your truth. That's acting like truth is relative. Right. God is truth. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. His spirit is truth. It is not malleable. It is not conformative to this world at all, which is why the world hates it. Because it, it is not conforming. It is not inclusive. No. It is not adaptive. You have to adapt to it. Right. You have to conform to it. You have, if the truth shows that you are wrong, the light shows you are wrong, the truth's not going to change. Nope. If you don't change, then you will go away from the truth. And you'll go, if you don't want truth, light, there's nothing else but darkness. If you don't want truth, there's nothing else but lies. But what will the truth do for you if you would receive it? You got to love the truth more than anything or anybody. Somebody said, I thought we were supposed to love the Lord. I, that's the same thing. He is the truth. I thought we were supposed to love the Word, the Spirit. That's the same, same thing. But the Word, the truth, is not always complimentary to you. You know, when the Syrophoenician woman was uh, seeking the Lord for healing for her daughter, 
the Lord said it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. You know what her response was? Truth, Lord. This is why she's in the book. Huh? What'd she say? She didn't get indignant. She didn't get, dogs? Who are you calling dogs? We Syrophoenicians, just as good as you. No, if you read, she's also called a Canaanite woman. And we even have details in the Old Testament about how the Canaanites lived. God himself said their living was so vile that the land was throwing them up. God said the land was vomiting them out because their deeds were so repulsive and so abominable. So the truth is, her people did live like dogs. God's not trying to slander her or call her names. But if the Lord says, you've been living like a dog, if you want help, what do you say? Truth, Lord. <laughs> if you say it, everything you say is true and right. But see, so many human beings are so proud and so defiant, they won't accept that. Even if they know it's true, they get defiant and they won't accept it. And when you do that, you've cut yourself off from grace. Mm -hmm. If you don't want the truth, there's nothing left but lies. And lies take you away from God, take you into darkness, and you stumble, and you look up, 20 years is gone, you're not in the will of God, one problem after another, and you can still be saved. The Lord loves you, He cares about you, but He's not pleased with what you're doing and how you're living and you haven't even bothered to check in with him for the last three months. Even bothered to ask him what he might like or what he might want. Do we want to please the Lord, saints? Do we want to please him? Is it good for us when our ways please him? The Bible said he makes even your enemies to be at peace with you when your ways please the Lord. He even gets involved making your enemies back off when you really please Him. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. John 8, did you find it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Uh, Tell you, for time's sake, let me do something. We'll get there a different way. Go with me, uh, Brother John referred to this earlier. Go to Mark 11. And yes, I'm going to those famous verses. Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. Mark 11. I'm going to give you a phrase and then elaborate on it. Um, thank you Lord God effects his will with his words that's how he affects it into existence and into the earth you remember Isaiah what is it 55 talks about this he said my word that goes out of my mouth it will accomplish and prosper what I send it to do. It, it affects his change and his will. When God speaks, 
It's not just to communicate. Yes, that's right. When God speaks, it's never only to convey an idea. God's words are living and creative. His words are empowering and enabling. When the Lord tells you to do something, never tell him after that that you can't. Because that's an illogical response. Yes, that's right. You couldn't do it before he told you to do it. But when he told you to do it, the very telling you to do it empowered you to do it. His words are empowering, are enabling. You remember when Peter was in the boat and Jesus came walking on the water. He said, if that's you, tell me to come. At that point, can Peter walk on the water? No. No. Until Jesus said, come. Hmm? That's not just an encouragement. It's an empowerment. It's not just an invitation. It's an enabling. And so when Peter stepped out of the boat, he wasn't walking on the water. He was, working, he was walking on the power of that word. Come. Can you say amen? That's true with every one of us. When God says something to you, it's truth, it's light, it's his will, it's its way. It empowers you to do it. And uh, Jesus' words were so powerful when he walked the earth because there was no compromise in his word. And there was no condemnation in his heart. None. So when he spoke, there was no wavering, there was no vacillation, there was no doubt. And that's why when he spoke, it happened. Every time. Mark eleven twenty two and 3, are you there? Yes. This is when Jesus spoke to the fig tree. And the disciples marveled about it. He said, have faith in God, or other translations, have the faith of God. And verse 23, I'm reading the, uh, the Dewey translation. He said, uh, Amen, I say to you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not stagger. This is why I'm reading Dewey. The word doubt, shall not doubt, that's the exact same Greek word that's over in uh, Romans 4 where Abraham didn't stagger. It's the same word over in James where it says don't waver when you ask for wisdom. So the word translated doubt here is all, in the same King James New Testament is translated stagger and waver. If you'll say and not waver in your heart but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass you will have whatever you say. Now a lot of people in our circles have heard this first. Thank God for Brother Hagin and his ministry. Yes. God showed him this. And he came off what would have been his deathbed with this verse in verse 24. Amen. But then you have a lot of people that have learned a little bit about faith principles but have not got this part. 
Uh, when, when Brother Hagin, he said years ago, in the early days of his ministry, he was preaching on this verse. And they're over in Oklahoma. And oil wells were booming during that time. And he said a fella spoke up and was real combative and said, well, what if I said I'm going to have 10 million oil wells? What about that? And Brother Hagin said, if you would really believe it, it could happen, but you don't, so sit down. <laughs> it's not just saying something that causes it to come to pass. If that were true, right? Well, it could be a problem too. <laughs> There's some protection in there. You have to have no wavering that what you're saying happens. And that's been the cause of it not working. Because people will start to say something and before they start saying it, they're vacillating. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I sure hope so. I need it to be. Well, it's not going to happen. Because you're not convinced. You're not fully persuaded. This is the reality. So what we should look at is what causes the wavering and how to get rid of it. Because you can. Hmm? Are you all okay or not? <laughs> yeah, I said that and it didn't work. Well, you didn't believe it in your heart. You can't doubt. Let's read it again. Jesus said, if you'll say, and what? Not doubt, not waver, not stagger in your heart. You can't, there can be none of this. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. We hope so. Let's try it. Can be none of that. Can be none of that. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe. You're fully persuaded like Abraham. Amen. That what you say happens. Then Jesus said, you'll have what you say. Amen. It'll come to pass. So the objective is to get to the place where you get rid of the wavering, uh -huh. get rid of the staggering, get rid of the doubt, and get a fully persuaded heart. Jesus' words, let me say it again, they were so powerful because he had no doubt when he said them. Amen. He had no uh, wavering. He had no condemnation. No condemnation. First uh, John, the, uh, the third chapter. Can you stay with me a few minutes longer here? Well, I don't want to leave you hanging. Um, we've been doing all this all night long to get to a certain place. We're almost, almost there. First John 3, 18. He said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, empty talk, but in deed and in what? Truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall what? Assure our hearts before him. That's the opposite of vacillating. Amen. Is that your heart is assured. This is similar to saying you're fully persuaded. My heart is assured confident. Verse 20, for if our heart 
condemn us. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Oh, this is, this is miracle stuff here. This is, this is life-changing place here. Then we have confidence toward him in verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive of him. And why are our hearts assured and we have confidence? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing, well-pleasing, his good will, his perfect will in his sight. Jesus never told a lie. So when he had to believe that what he say is coming to pass, he, there's no conflict inside him. Jesus, when he went to speak to rebuke a spirit to leave or to rebuke the fever in Peter's mother-in-law, when he went to speak, his heart didn't condemn him because he'd been ignoring the Father about something for the past three months. Come on. Oh, come on. Can you see this? So there was no hesitation, no vacillation, no staggering, no wavering, just full confidence. And that's why when he said it, it happened. Yes. Somebody said, yeah, but Brother Keith, that's Jesus. Well, then why did he tell us if we'd do it, it'd work for us? Right. Right. Mark 11, 22 and 3 and 4, he didn't, when they said, Lord, look at that fig tree. It did just what you said. He didn't say, oh, now don't try that at home. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'm the master. I can do that, but not you. No, he takes it as a teaching opportunity to say, you can do it too. But this is what you got to do. You can't, you can't have doubt in your heart about what you're saying. You got to be fully convinced that what you say comes to pass. And if you do it, it'll happen just like what I just did. In fact, Matthew says it like this, Matthew 21. He said, you shall not only do that which is done to the fig tree. He's telling them you could have done that too. But if you say to this mountain, be removed. Somebody say confidence, confidence. Now you might say, well, yeah, but you know, Jesus never sinned. So he, he's not having that conflict and that condemnation. And I have blown it a lot of ways. So how can I ever be that way? We've already talked about it. By the blood of the lamb, you can be as though you had never sinned. Right. If you'll receive that cleansing and washing, you can have confidence too as though you never sinned. To those that believe in him, you're not condemned. This is not God condemning you. Sometimes you'll hear people say, boy, I was, that, I was in that service and that word was real strong and the Lord really condemned me about some things. No, he didn't. You said it wrong. No, he didn't. The Spirit of God convinced you of some things. And if in his light it showed up some areas where you were wrong, then your heart condemns you about what the Holy Spirit convinced you of. Come on, can you see that now? God didn't condemn you. Your own heart did. And the only way to get that fixed is to repent and walk in the light. We've already talked about how to get rid of that condemnation. Now, um, 
I, I said I was going to mention something to you that has been a tremendous help to me, and I want to, I want to touch on that right now. The scripture said concerning Jesus that his word was with power. God's, one, of the, one of the reasons God's word is so powerful is because it's impossible for him to lie. Impossible. You might say, well, it's not impossible for me to lie. Yeah, but again, you can be cleansed by the blood and put you back to a place as though you had never lied. It can get rid of the condemnation so that now your confidence is restored. But I have found in my personal life that there were times when uh, your, your heart, your spirit's willing, but your flesh was weak. Remember Jesus told his disciples that? He said, your spirit truly is willing, but your, your, your flesh is weak. And he said, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. And uh, uh, I, the Lord showed me back years ago, decades ago, that when I find myself in a situation like that, and I need extra help, my words are the key. I said, my words are the key. But in order to walk by faith, your word must be a word of integrity. Lying is one of the worst things you can do in this life. It has so many bad repercussions that most folk don't even understand. That, that verse we were quoting earlier, you'll know the truth. Truth will make you free. Now you're ready to read the rest of it. Go there, John, John 8, please. John 8. He was talking about truth and lies that led up to that 32nd verse. There's power in the truth. There's bondage in lies. In John 8, he said, and Jesus said to the, the Pharisees and leaders, lawyers, leaders of the synagogue, this is becoming a bit of a heated conversation in this eighth chapter. They're getting more and more adamant against him, and he's speaking some stronger things to them. He said, verse 43, John 8, um, excuse me, I went too far back. Um, verse 30, let's look at. Uh, I'm, I'm moving too quick. Back to um, verse 43. He said, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you can't hear my words. Jesus was aware, even though he is telling them exactly what they need to hear, they are not getting it. They're not even hearing it. Like we talked today, what makes a, a hearing ear? A willing heart. And they are not willing to hear what he's saying to them, so they're not even getting it. He said, now these are, these are some of the most religious leaders of the country. You are of your father, the devil. That didn't make them happy. <laughs> and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Abode not in the truth. There was a time when Satan wasn't Satan. He was Lucifer. The anointed cherub that covers. God made him an amazing being. And we don't know how long he was around the presence of God. 
But the Bible said this was t until iniquity was found in him. God didn't make him the devil. No. He used the uh, creative ability that God had put in him to create lying and iniquity. Lying doesn't come from God. No. We see in the very next phrase, the devil fathered it. He fathered deception and lies. Didn't come from God at all. He was a murderer. He, he abode not in the truth. He was around the truth. He was in the truth. He's around God. He heard it. He saw it for who knows how long. We have no idea what kind of stretches of time we're talking about here. But he refused to stay in the truth. He left the truth. And now there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own insides, his own being. For he is a liar, and not just a liar, he's the father of deception and lies. He fathered it. Something good to remember, there's no truth in him, so when he tells you something, it's a lie. Every time. Keep going, verse 45. He said, because I tell you the truth, the truth, you believe not. Are they rejecting the truth? Yes. They are. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why don't you believe me? He that's of God hears God's words. You're, you don't hear them, therefore you are not of God. Oh, that made them mad. And so it goes on. But if you back up previously... How, how, what led up to this, verse 30, said, As he spoke those words, many believed on him. He said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word. Everybody say continue. Continue, continue in my word. Uh, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, we've quoted that verse apart from the passage, and it does a disservice. People have the idea, I will be cognitively aware of the truth, and that will make me free. No, you got to back up to the previous verse. If you continue in his word, which is truth, which is light, you will experience the truth. And that manifestation will liberate you. Mm. We don't just get light by study. No. We get some light by reading, by hearing, by being in teaching and preaching. We get light enough to take a step. But you get so much more light by doing. You, you know this just in, in natural life, when you learn how to drive a car. Maybe you read some books on how to uh, drive a car, but you got a whole lot more revelation. Is that right? When you got in there under the wheel, yeah. and you turn the key, and you put it in D. <laughs> huh? You got a revelation. Wow. I can't see that fender very good. Wow. How close to the ditch am I? Wow. <laughs> How long does it take this thing to stop? All that revelation and light, which is true in reality, you could not get sitting at home reading a book. 
Mm -hmm. Hmm? So when he says, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples and you'll know, you'll experience the truth and that truth will make you free. It will liberate you as you walk it out, as you do it. Yes. I know uh, talking about the power of your words helping you. When I, uh, the Lord dealt with Phyllis and I to go to Ramah. This is back almost 40 years ago. We lived there in, out in the country, way out in the country in Mississippi. And um, didn't, didn't know much of anything. We'd heard some tapes about faith, got stirred up. The Lord prompted us. And so we made application to go. And they accepted my application. I went first. Phyllis went years later. And one of the things they required is that you could use no tobacco. And I did. My dad smoked cigars. Had my whole life. I thought it was kind of cool. And I used tobacco in more than one form. And uh, so I had uh, thought about quitting and didn't quit. And I had talked about needing to quit and didn't quit. I want you to hear these phrases. I need to. That means nothing. I've got to. That means nothing. You'll be the same place 10 years from now if you keep saying, I've got to, I've got to. There's no faith in it. I need is not a faith statement. There's no faith in it. You're not using your words to help you. Go to James, please. Third chapter. And I think I'm, I'm, getting, I'm beginning to start to close. I think. This is subject to change. This is worth your time, child of God. I'm telling you, this is worth your time. In James, uh, the scripture said, he, he began talking earlier in the chapter about how that if you don't control your tongue, your religion is vain. Vain. But in James 3, he goes into detail about the tongue and the power of our words. He said, verse 2, James 3, 2, in many things we offend all or, or make mistakes, all of us. But if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, fully developed, completely developed, if you don't miss it in what you say. Mm -hmm. One of the, the, the biggest indicators of a one who is developed in God is somebody who watches and controls all their words. Yes. So you can see how immature and babyish most people are. Because yes. most people say whatever crosses their mind. Right. It crosses their mind and probably 80% of that comes right out the mouth. Yeah. And that's a big problem. Because it shows you don't believe in the power of your words. Right. 
and it shows your words are empty, you're not endeavoring to release anything in your words. You're not trying to do anything with your words. When God speaks, it's never just to communicate. His words are containers. They have in them life, love, creative power. When he says, be encouraged, when he says, be strong, if you'll receive it, there's strength in what he said that will come right into you. Here's the amazing thing. We're created in His likeness and image. Yes. We also are speaking spirits. Yes. And if we will choose to do so, we can put things in our words that make a difference. Yes. But you have to speak on purpose. You must control yourself if you get angry, if you get upset. If you get hurt, you don't want to release. The Bible said there is speaks like the piercing of an arrow. Words can hurt. Words can injure. Words can kill. Words can heal. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. If we will develop and become more like him in every situation, instead of just talking, instead of just saying whatever crosses your mind, you check your heart and ask the Lord for words for this situation. Lord, what would encourage them? What would help them? And if you look and check, He'll give you words, the perfect words, like apples of gold in pitchers of silver, a word in season to him or her that is weary. And if you'll say what He says, the way He says it, you won't just be a talking. That's another phrase I don't care for. I'm just saying. That's ignorant phrase. <laughs> you don't need to just be yapping to be yapping. Now, now you might think, well, you're, you're putting me in bondage. No, I'm trying to tell you how to get out of trouble. I'm trying to tell you something that can change your life when nothing else seems to work. But we have to take our words more seriously. I'm not talking about being afraid to say something all the time, but just realizing my word, God created the worlds with His words. He intended that we shape our world with our words, that we speak on purpose by faith. He said, if we offend not in word, the same's a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Come on, say it out loud. Able, able to, bridle. to bridle. You could also say control. What? The whole body. Here is a key to controlling everything about your body. Do you believe the Bible or not? Yes. Say it, say it out loud. Able to control. Able to control. The, whole the whole body. Come on, say it again. Able to control. Able to control. The, whole body. the whole body. Say it again. Able to control. The whole, the whole body. Like I said, in my personal life, there's been, I don't know, through the years, handful of times when I needed to make a change with my body. And I'm not doing it. 
Because the flesh likes what it likes. Amen. It wants to do what it wants to do. Hmm? There can be addictions, even if it's not drugs and alcohol. That that works there way too. But it can be any number of things that your flesh just wants and it's used to and, and it craves. And, and, and maybe you do it again and it makes you feel so bad and it bothers your heart and your conscience. But guess what? Tomorrow it wants it again. It wants it again. Your body didn't get born again. You got the same type of body as Joe Sinner, Susie Sinner down the street that don't even try to serve God. Same kind of body. And that's why Paul said, I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. How do you do that? This is one of the key ways you do it. With your words. Said out loud, able to control. Able to control. The whole body. The whole body. If what? If you control your mouth. If you control your words. And I'm not just talking about, quote, making good confessions. Right. We've heard some of that, and there's certainly great truth there. But I'm talking about something else tonight. Look with me. Keep reading this, this passage. I lost my place. Verse 5, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. He's talking about words are like a bit in a horse's mouth. Behold ships, which though they're so great and are driven of fierce winds, they're turned about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor lists. He's comparing the tongue to a bit to steer a horse, to a rudder to steer a ship. We're going something from something a lot bigger than you to something a whole lot bigger than a horse. Yeah. A whole ship. And an ocean with big waves and currents. You can control that giant ship. We got now, nowadays we got these tankers and these, these cargo vessels, container vessels that are gigantic. And it still works. Relatively small rudder. You turn it, and it might not just spin on a dime, but it sets, it changes the course of that giant vessel. Oh, come on, can you see that? Why is he bringing this up? He says that's what words, right words do. Mm -hmm. Today I think he might use this term steering wheel. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. We have now steering wheels. Steering wheel. You got people in life, Christians, that don't understand this. And they got their foot on, on the floor on their car. And it's blaring down the highway. And it's going places it shouldn't go. It's going in the ditch. It's ripping through people's yard. It's hitting things. And they're screaming going, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here. But they won't dare put a hand on the wheel. I don't believe in that confession stuff. That's that blab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. Oh, but I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to go through it. When you get a hold of your, your words, yeah. you can change your course. Mm -hmm. And even though you might have been going in circles, just back through the same stuff over and over and over again, you can break out of it. Yes. Your words. Yes. The tongue is a little member, like the bit, like the rudder, like the steering wheel, boasts great things. Uh, that's King James. Behold how great a matter a little fire Kindles. Don't just look at that as a negative thing. Mm. 
It starts small. The giant effect starts with a spark. I, I realized that if I'm going to go to Rama, I got to quit using tobacco. And at first I thought, well, that's no big deal, you know. But it was a bigger deal than I thought. Because mm -hmm. I kept picking it back up. I kept picking it back up. And the days are coming to whether, you know, am I going to do this or not? And, and that's where a lot of times people then begin to go, well, where in the Bible does it say thou shalt not smoke cigars? <laughs> well, you can't find any verse that says thou shalt not snort cocaine or shalt not shoot heroin. I mean, well, it's all natural. It's organic. Now see, we're laughing, but that's a big problem because your heart knows the truth and you're rejecting it. Your heart knows. And I came to the place where, am I going to let tobacco keep me from following the plan of God for my life? Whether it's okay, it's not okay, or who thinks whatever, if I'm going to go there and do this like the Lord told me, they say you can't. I'm going to sign a piece of paper saying I'm not. But I kept winding up in those days leading up using tobacco. And I kept thinking, I, I need to quit. I need to quit. <laughs> I need to quit. Did you, how much do you think that helped me? No. I really need to quit. Yeah. I, I mean, it's only a few weeks here. I, I need to quit. I've got to quit. There's no power in that at all. There's no faith in that at all. I need to. I've, you can be desperate. You can cry. You can be vexed. It means nothing. There's no help in any of that. And the Lord prompted me. He said, put your word on it. Put your word on it. That's first, one of the first times I ever realized the power of this. He said, you won't lie to me, will you? I said, no, sir. He said, put your word on it. You don't have to say, if, you, if, if it's not in your heart, you don't have the confidence to say, I'll never use tobacco again. Get yourself started. Say it out loud. I'll, I'm not telling you to say this. Uh, the, the, you know, I, I will use no tobacco for the next six months. I will use no tobacco for the next six months. Put your word on it. Why is God's word so powerful? It's impossible for him to lie. Come on, can you see this? And because there can't be any lie, there can't be any wavering, there can't be any condemnation, there's full confidence and full power in the word. Amen. Don't say things you're not going to keep your word to do. That'll destroy you. Mm -hmm. But it, it'll, it'll, it can break whatever's going on with you and, and give God time to work on you and help build you up. So I, I remember standing out in the field there. I said, okay, Lord, I do. I give you my word. I put my word on this. I will use no tobacco for the next six months. Well, 
Now, it doesn't matter. Am I going to lie to God? No. Come on, are you with me or not? Yeah. Now, see, if your word's not going to be any good, you can't walk by faith. It's just going to, you're going to have nothing to stand on, nothing to work. We can trust him completely because there's no chance of him lying to us. Right. The only way we can trust our word is when it becomes a word of integrity, too. Yes. That means you don't say it unless you're going to do it. Right? right? You do not say it. But there are times when your flesh is such that just this needing and wanting and pulling is not going to work. You've got to have something stronger. Amen. Hmm? And when I said it, something happened to me. Strength came into me. Hallelujah. And I didn't use any tobacco for the next six months. And by that time, I realized I didn't need any tobacco. And that's turned into 38 years. Just didn't need it. But it started out with me putting my word on it for six months. And that broke me out of the flesh control. Is that scripture or not? If you're able to control your words, you can control your whole body. And if you just break out of a cycle of whatever kind of addiction it might be, then it gives God some opportunity to work on you and strengthen you. And desires are not static. They're always moving one direction or the other. Desire, lust is just another word for desire. A lust is a strong word. You can lust after cars. You can lust after money. You can lust after food. You can lust after all kind of stuff. And the, re the reason people have gotten into such a place where they're just controlled and dominated by their desires is because those desires have been fed and fed and fed and fed until they've just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger until they become, uh, people become obsessed with them. They just think about it night and day. This is bondage. Amen. This is bondage and harassment of the enemy. And so what you got to do is you got to starve that desire. If you'll stop feeding it, it'll get weaker. That's right. It doesn't all happen overnight because especially if you've been feeding it for years and years and years and got it so strong in your life, now you got to starve it. Starve that desire. Stop looking at those things. Stop reading those things. Stop listening to those things. Stop going to those places. And if it seems like I can't stop, that's where you use your words. That's right? right? And even if it's just for a few weeks, you say, I am not, in Jesus' name, I'm not doing this for the next two weeks. Amen. Are y'all with me? Yes. You use your words, and if you say it in faith, and it's a word of integrity, it'll give you the strength you didn't have in your flesh. And that two weeks can turn into two months. You can, then you can say, I'm going to do it the rest of the year. Or I'm going to do it next year. And watch about saying, I'm never going to do something. Because right. if you don't believe it, and your word's not a word of integrity, it's not going to work for you. You must be confident. Now see, this is not different from Mark 11, 23. Uh, you know, most of us, uh, the literal physical mountain is not our problem. 
We don't need all that tonnage of rock and dirt moved. But there can be something that's like a mountain to you. Right? And it keeps, it keeps being in your way. And you keep tripping over it. And you keep stumbling over it. What do you do? If you'll say. Oh, is anybody awake in here tonight? If you'll say. And not waver. And not doubt. But believe that what you say comes to pass. You'll have what you say. Hallelujah. God backs it. Hallelujah. It's, it's enough to break you out of that flesh cycle, whatever it might be. All of us have made mistakes in these areas. They may, the area may differ and vary, but it's the same kind of stuff. I need to. I've got to. I'm going to. And it just years pass. And it's worse now than it was. But you've got your weapon that's not carnal, but it's mighty through God. Hallelujah. To the pulling down of strongholds. Can you say amen? amen? And one of the most powerful we've been given is right under our nose. <laughs> it's been there all the time. If you use it correctly. Can you say amen? Stand on your feet, everybody.